Thank you, James. You may be seated. Very rarely does a song fit so well with this message that we're going to have this morning. I appreciate that selection, James, and appreciate y'all singing that. If you have your Bibles, please be turning to the book of Exodus chapter 6. We'll be in page 89. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. The ushers will be by. If you didn't get a note sheet, they're coming by right now just to They'll be going up and down the aisle with those, so we'll have a note sheet to match uh, the message this morning, uh, getting out of Egypt. We're still talking about the war on worship, but this morning we're going to be seeing um, the Lord's deliverance. And seeing the, door, the Lord's deliverance is, sounds easy, but it's often hard for us to do. Uh, last week we saw that Moses and the children of Israel uh, stepped into this war for worship when they declared their liberty from Pharaoh. And, of course, it didn't go over well. Uh, as we saw last week, and, and we know that there was a, there's a battle that's ensuing. And Moses, of course, was not getting any traction with the children of Israel. And as we get to the end of, uh, of the text, which we'll look at once again here in just a moment, we'll see that he is discouraged as well. Last week, as we concluded, we, we emphasized several times this firstborn aspect. And I, and I drew you to Isaiah chapter 9, and, and this is by, by way of reference. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 5, a very familiar passage, it says, For the the bat, for every battle of the warriors with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be the burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, in that passage that I just read, that is really what Moses and the children of Israel were stepping into. This was a battle not just about who controlled Egypt, but ultimately who's going to rule on the world and ultimately, prophetically, what Jesus is going to still do in the millennium through the nation of Israel. And we'll talk about that a little bit more this morning as we go. But it's no wonder that people were confused. They go to God and they, and they claim his promises and then things don't get better. They go from bad to worse. And that's really where we left this, the, uh, the story last week in Exodus chapter 5. This morning I want to look at Exodus chapter 6. Uh, and as we do that, I want to back up into chapter 5. Since you've got so much on your lap, I'm not going to ask you to stand this morning. But in your hearts, let's honor God and stand in our hearts. And uh, we're going to read in Exodus chapter 5 and verse uh, 20, really where Moses leaves off. And he is not, you know, he is not encouraged in what's going on. And then we want to see the Lord's response, and we'll look at that in Exodus chapter 6 this morning. And by the way, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you've joined in. And if you're a guest this morning and you didn't raise your hand and get a guest bag, we're glad that you're here. Please go by the connections counter on the way out, and we want to make sure that you get a gift today because we're glad that you're here this morning. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh, and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you. And judge, because you have made our uh, savor to be a board in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of the servants of his servants uh, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. I mean, it's, this is going so bad now. They're going to kill us. Verse 22. And Moses, this is chapter five, verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil and treated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil, and to this people neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. He goes on to say in verse 6, this is the response of the Lord. I mean, he's saying, God, you haven't done anything here. Uh, you told me what to say, and it's gone over terribly. 
Uh, now the people aren't with me. Pharaoh's not with me. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. We just sang about that, the great I am. Verse 3. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of, of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with the stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you uh, to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you unto the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it uh, you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Heavenly Father, the great I am, we just sang your name's hallelujah to the lamb. You are the great I am. We thank you and praise you so much for the reality of the resurrection, the victory we have in Christ, the promises you've given us in the New Testament, and Lord, the pictures you provided for us in the Old Testament. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we read this text, we can understand that we, we are empathetic with how Moses must have felt as he's he's been rejected by Pharaoh. He's been rejected uh, by his own brethren. And, and Lord, they are under cr- great cruel oppression Lord, I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, that our faith uh, in every situation uh, would not be quenched by our circumstances. Yet, Lord, like Moses, like the children of Israel, at times when things go from bad to worse, it seems like there is no hope. And yet, Lord, you just gave seven I wills in this text. You promised, and you mentioned three things that you had already done before that. And, Lord, I pray this morning as we look at the word of God that we'd remember what you have done, that we remember what you will do, and we will... Hope in your word and we will look forward to your resurrection and our or our resurrection because of your resurrection 2000 years ago. Lord, help us to claim your promises and see the deliverance that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this text, most of us can identify with Moses as we struggle to see God's deliverance. And uh, and we believe his promises and we know his word is true, but circumstances can often cloud our vision and corrupt our faith. Maybe this morning you're struggling to believe what you know God has said and you need to and 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 uh, and what you need to do. Right? Things uh you know, things uh in life come sometimes uh, uh confound us. Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we struggle to be honest, tell the truth or to honor our marriage vows or forgive someone who's offended us or to serve where God tells us to serve, or love where God tells us to love. There's all kinds of obstacles that we can face in our life, things that the flesh can throw at us, things that the world can throw at us, things that the devil can throw at us, that kind of cloud our hope in the deliverance that God has for us. So notice what God says, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. Um, I don't know. Uh, let me just pause here. Are you guys going to, you got the slides in the booth in video staging? They should be up. Hmm. All right, so you're going to have a hard time keeping up with me this morning. I apologize for that. 
Um, so notice what God says. And I had a slide for this, but you aren't going to see it. So uh, in the text, in verse uh, chapter 6 and verse uh, 2, um, it says, <clears throat> actually in verse 1, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let him go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. So he's going to tell him, hey, fair, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to deliver you. So what has God done in your life? Has he saved you? Amen. If you're born again, he has. Has he kept you alive today? You got your heart beating? Your lungs working? My lungs are working. Your lungs are working, hopefully. Uh, and he's provided for us. He's let us get here today. You, you're able to mobilize, get ambulatory, get out of bed. There's a lot to thank God for this morning, even when things are going bad. But there's times that we simply need to take inventory of what God has done. So your first point of study here is to see the Lord's deliverance. We need to see what God has done. Oh, there, there it is. Hallelujah. So that you do have it. Praise the Lord. So, uh, so to see the Lord's deliverance, we need to see what God has done. Exodus six uh, verses one through five point eight. It says, before you see what the Lord will do, we need to remember, uh, who God is before God gets into all the things that he has done and he will do. He starts off and he says, Hey, Moses, this is who I am. In verses 1 through 3, he starts off there. You'll notice in verse 1 there, it says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, uh, and notice it's capital L-O-R-D, and we talked about this in previous weeks, but when you see that, that is the, that is the in the English, that is the translation for the word Jehovah, the Hebrew word Jehovah. Uh, but what's interesting is when we get to verse 3, he says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, uh, by my name Jehovah was I known to them. And so this is something new that he is he's rolling out. And there's actually some neat things in chapter 6 that really show that God is transitioning uh, from a dispensation to human government to this dispensation of the law. And I'll get if I get to the end of this today, you'll get into that. But we see that the Lord is mentioned in verse 1. But he says, you know, that name is something that is, is now new to the children of Israel. Before that, uh, God spake unto them, and he, and he appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the name of God Almighty. Uh, so God Almighty, if you were to you know, break that down in the Hebrew, what that would mean is Elohim. You probably heard these words, you know, Elohim and El Shaddai and, and Jehovah. All those are Hebrew names for God, and they all have different nuances and meaning. And so up to this point, the Jews didn't know God as Jehovah God. They knew him as Elohim. And he's setting himself apart here because uh, even though he's the almighty God, the word Elohim uh, could be used for a lot of gods, even today in other languages, right? The, uh, Allah is called Elohim. Uh, Zeus was called Elohim in Greek. Same word, the same Greek word is, you know, uh, used there. And and so when God sets forth Jehovah, he's saying, I, I am the self-existing one and I'm your God, Israel. Uh, I'm not just the, 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 the God of all gods. I am I'm not just the most powerful God. I am the God, right? I am the almighty God. I am the self-existing God. I am your God in particular. And they need to know that because they're facing some challenges. And when you are facing challenges, you need to know that our God is greater than every other God. He is the self-existing one, right? He is Jehovah God. Now, uh, that is only mentioned, I believe, uh, like five times in the whole Bible. That word is transliterated out of the Hebrew, uh, Jehovah, into uh, the, the the English Bible, 
And uh, some, uh, the Septuagint, he calls it Yahweh, so you'll see a lot of new translations have it in there as Yahweh, or they will just skip it altogether, so you won't catch all the drift of that. But the reality is that's why that's there. It's, and, and then you'll notice he says, now, 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 now shalt thou see what I will do. It's like, I, I, I gotta, I've gotta be, I'm, I'm with Moses here. I, I'd have to probably be going, really? <laughs> now? I mean, it can't get any worse. I mean, why do you wait till it gets so bad? Of course, because he's going to see, we're going to see a mighty deliverance. You guys know how this story ends. Now that you have no options, Moses, you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. All right, Moses, I am worried. Uh, I am not worried about the results of your efforts. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me that you've been rejected by Pharaoh. It doesn't stop me because the children of Israel won't listen. Uh, now's when I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Now that you have, you are so discouraged by Pharaoh's strength, uh, I'm ready to show you my strength. Right? Uh, I'm ready now. You're ready, Moses, because you don't think anything can happen. Now's about the time for me to show you how strong I really am. Now that you have appeared before Pharaoh and the children of Israel and they've rejected you. Remember, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they believed upon me. They believed the promises. So, Moses, I'm getting ready to do something new through you. And, and though... Um, they knew me as God Almighty, Elohim. Moses, you will reveal me to them as the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existing one. You have to use uh, this King James Bible to figure all that out because you're not going to find that in many of the new translations. But uh, we see, I, I will tell you that you can find this word in the King James Bible in Psalms 83, 8, uh, Isaiah 12, 2, Isaiah 26, 4. Uh, are the other mentions of Jehovah. And the other 5,500 appearances are Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And there are a few exceptions there, uh, but I won't get into those nuances. So this was God letting Moses know that you and Israel have special relationship with me. You are, again, my son. Remember, he keeps talking about my firstborn, or I keep bringing that up. Because there's this issue of firstborn. You have a special relationship with me, Moses, because Israel has a special relationship with me. As we saw earlier, they are uh, looked at as his son. So point B, before we see God's deliverance, we need to remember what God has done. Right? We've got to remember who he is. Right? He is God Almighty. He is also the self-existing one. There is, he needs no one, but yet he wants us. And that's incredible. But we also got to remember what he has done. So in Exodus 6, 4, he says, And I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. I've remembered what's happened. So point one, I've established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Exodus six four. So there are there are many here in the United in the there are many today in the United Nations who need to go back and review what I just said and what God said. God has given Israel a land grant and He will make sure that they get it. He remembers it, right? He has already done that. It is done. So the land is yours, Moses. I established my covenant with the preceding patriarchs. Now this is not just their land. This is your land, and so this is confirmation of their destination. So in the midst of all of this discouragement, God is saying, hey, listen, I want to give you, Moses, confirmation of Israel's destination. And today, as we think about all the things that are going on, I know just uh, yesterday the Trudes lost a loved one or last night. And, man, that losing a loved one, it's, it's devastating. 
especially if you don't have confirmation of their destination. But oh, what a grace it is when you know their destination. Oh, yeah, I mean, we, we mourn, but we don't mourn as those without hope, right? We mourn with hope because we have confirmation of the destination, and that's heaven because Jesus Christ has promised us uh, that we have a home in heaven. And so praise God for that. You know, John chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If, I, if it were not so, I would have told you, right? I would have said so. I will tell you the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come. There's a lot of I wills right here, by the way. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. And whether you go, uh, whether I go, I'm sorry, you know the way and uh, you know and the way you know. And of course, we know that in uh, John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So he's made these great promises to us. It's not a. Uh, not like Israel. It's not a physical earthly promise. We get a spiritual promise. It's even better. And so uh, I've heard the groaning, he says in, in point two. I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. I have not only gifted you a promised land, I have heard your prayers. We've even more assurance than the Old Testament saints ever thought about having. Hebrews 4.14, the Bible tells us, uh, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Then he says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may uh, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God has heard their prayer, but man, God not only hears our prayer, he's like, he's in us. Right. He 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 groans. Right. I mean, he he intercedes for us. And and man, we have a high priest and we can come boldly before the throne of God. It's an amazing access that we have. We know that God hears our prayers. First Timothy two eight tells us, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Going back to Numbers, I believe it was chapter 14, when Moses' hands were held in the air by Aaron and her, right? And, and as his hands were up, Joshua went forth, picture of Jesus Christ, and, got, and won the battle against the Amalekites. When we pray, God hears, and he goes to work on our behalf. Jesus Christ is our ambassador. He is our, I should back that up, First uh, John. He is our advocate, right? He is our propitiation, and he is our mediator. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we, he hears our prayers. And you know what he said? I remember my covenant. He remembered the covenant with, with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God obviously remembered his covenant with these guys, and God swore by himself. Uh, it wasn't just that God kept, uh, you know, kept his word to, to Abraham or to Isaac or to Jacob. Back in, back in Genesis chapter 15, and we're not going to look at this morning for time's sake, but you go back and look at Genesis 15, 8 through 21, as God is Blessing Abraham, he's already told him his seed is going to multiply like the stars of heaven. He's given him that that that, that promise, but he he sets forth this this covenant with Abraham, and Abraham nods off. Man, Abraham goes to sleep on the deal, and and God fulfills it anyway. And Hebrews six thirteen says, "For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, even though Abraham wasn't even." Uh, he was aware of what was going on, but he kind of was he was kind of failing. God says, that's OK. I'm going to keep this promise because I'm promising it to myself. I mean, if God keeps his promises to you, you definitely know he's going to keep his promise to himself. Right. God is God. He's not going to break his word. He can't. God does not lie. So remember that God remembers his covenant 
is established by his eternal and unchanging word. At the end of the day, the reason that we are all, if we're born again this morning, if you really are born again, it is because God has kept his own word. He's the only one who has fulfilled the law of the Old Testament. He's the only perfect sacrifice, certainly. He's also the only perfect man because he's the only person that could fulfill his own word. God is good for his word. So point C, we won't see the Lord's deliverance if we cannot see what God has done for us. See, God has established us as sons of God. And when we called upon the name of the Lord, if you're born again this morning, you know what God did? He heard your prayer of repentance. He remembered us and granted us eternal life. So today God has has established, um, he's established uh, us. <clears throat> Somehow I just lost my, my technology. That's the bummer with technology. Uh, so <clears throat> let me get to where I was. I'm right there. So he's established his saints in the word. And he hears our prayers and brings all things to our remembrance through his Holy Ghost. Many of you know John fourteen twenty six from uh, discipleship. If you've been in discipleship, uh, discipleship, uh, it says in John chapter fourteen and verse twenty six. Uh, but my, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things whatsoever uh, I have said unto you. And so we understand this morning. If we're going to see the Lord's deliverance, we need to see. What God has done. And we're going to remember that. Even the Holy Ghost will help us remember that. Have you ever had that happen? God brings something to your remembrance. And you're like, oh, man, I should have had a V8. No. You say, oh, man, Lord, I, I should have memorized. I should have remembered that verse. Thanks for bringing it to my remembrance. Or thanks for reminding me of what you have done in my life. Thank you for working in my life. A lot of times as I'm prepping sermons, that's actually what's going on in my own heart. God's just giving me things and things I would otherwise forget or not think about. That's why it's important to be in the Word of God and to exercise ourselves in the teaching of the Word of God, whether it's to your children or in the E-Wing or uh, in some ministry, doing a devotion somewhere in a volleyball ministry or what have you, and just being in the Word and sharing the Word. God brings things to your remembrance, and you remember, oh, yeah, that's what God has done, right? So a lot, and you, I was just talking to Brian Johnson. He was telling me, I've been here for 13 years, you know. I was like, wow, it's a couple days. You know what that means? Brian Johnson's heard a lot of my stories over and over and over again. Why? Because I only got so much resources, right? And and so, but a lot of these stories that I would tell uh, that you've all heard. I remember uh, uh, Paula like knows that my date of salvation, uh, you know, March 25th, 1987, because I repeat it so often. Why is that? Because God brings victories back to our remembrance and promises back to our remembrance and blessings back to our remembrance. And when do you really need those the most? It's when you're... In the darkest days, right, when you're the most discouraged, when you've tried to do what God tells you to do and you get rejected, right, from people on high and people down low at every turn. Anybody ever feel like that? I bet you do. I know a lot of you men feel that way. You can't win at work. You can't win at home. You can't win anywhere. And then you come here and I beat you up. All right, let's go. Well, that's what it's good for you. It makes you stronger. No, what it does is it makes you turn Turn to the Lord and remember what he has done, right? Remember what the Lord has done. He's a good God, and we got to remember those things. So uh, to see his deliverance, we got to remember uh, the things that God has done. We used to sing songs like that, right? Uh, and then to see the Lord's deliverance, point two, we need to see what God will do, right? It's great to look back and reflect on what God has done. I mean, I hope this morning you have a testimony, and you can you could rejoice and say, Hallelujah to you, Brian. I got saved, right? 
And there's a point in your life where you know Jesus Christ redeemed your soul. You're looking back on that. Hallelujah. You know, and, and that is awesome. But you also, and I also have to look forward because that, it's not just over, right? We're still, we're still here because God has things for us to do. God's made all these promises to Israel. He's told them, Hey, this is my firstborn. This is my son. I'm going to deliver you. They got all this hope, but the reality just doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's real. They're not experiencing the promise. Man, there's a complete movement right now uh, in the most, you know, impoverished and difficult places of the world. The most, the most um, um, influential preaching is bad preaching. It's lies. It's people that use the Bible and say to these oppressed people, you know, if you believe on Jesus, God's going to bless you with thousands of dollars or whatever. You know, it's, it's called a prosperity gospel. Name it, claim it. Like God's just a big slot machine, you know, and, uh, and he's just going to. That's a horrible thing to do to those folks. They're desperate. What they need is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ can change their condition. Jesus Christ is the priority. But it's not, it's not just a name it, claim it type of thing. There's sometimes you call upon the name of the Lord, and, and your circumstances don't change. But his promises are nevertheless true. And you've got to look forward not to what just God has done, but what you know God will do. And, and so... Um, Point A, we can count on what the Lord says he will do. And I've already made that uh, very clear. But look at the text here. And uh, he, he says in verse 6 and 8, 6 through 8, he says, uh, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, <clears throat> I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I, I'll do this. I will bring you out. Point one is bring you out from under the burden, burdens of the Egyptians, not just the burden. Now, in Exodus 1.11, the Bible says, Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them, um, and they built, uh, and I'm sorry, and afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasured cities of Pithom and Ramses. And so God had allowed them, they were in this bondage, and, and Pharaoh had, had put them in a situation where he was benefiting from their burdens. They're building these treasure cities, these key cities. In Exodus 2.11, uh, we read uh, in previous weeks, and it came to pass in those days that when Moses had gr- uh, was grown, that he went out into his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Right, And so uh, now, 40 years later, Moses is a grown man. They're still under these burdens. And, of course, it's grievous to Moses, and we know how that story went. Moses took it to heart. Hebrews says he identified with his brethren instead of the riches of Egypt. Good for Moses. It didn't work out very well for him. And he's learning, though, that God's promises are true nonetheless. Exodus 5, which we just talked about last week, it says in the king, in verse 4, it says, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do, you, do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work? What are you doing? You get back. Get unto your burdens. We talked about that last week. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and make them rest from their burdens. I'm depending on these people to make money around here. You go back to work. You get under my burdens. And you put the people back to work. Put them under their burdens. And it's just oppressive. It's depressing, right? And so the first thing that God promises he will do, is bring the Jews out from under the burdens placed upon them by the Egyptians. Uh, this is a, this is uh, this is the very thing that Pharaoh was using to punish Moses and Aaron 
with for requesting uh, them to have worship in chapter 5. The very thing that he promises, hey, you're going to come out from under the burdens, is the very tool that Pharaoh used to oppress them when he heard that they were coming out from under their burdens. And so someone's going to be right and someone's going to be wrong. At this point, it looks like God's not right and Pharaoh is. But God is saying, I will do this. You just wait. It's coming. You know, we have a promise that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. We don't have to wait till we die to take that yoke on. We take that on as soon as we get saved. Our burdens are lifted when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ for salvation. Amen? They really are. I know in my life, when I got saved, it was like, you always hear people say, it's like a thousand pounds came off my shoulders. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I felt that way. I literally felt lifted. We used to sing a hymn, love lifted me, you know, love lifted me. We'd always go up and down. When nothing else could help, man, love lifted me. When you come to the cross of Christ, man, it lifts a burden because Jesus took all that burden on himself. You realize there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm just going to trust in what Jesus Christ has already done. And you know what? It's like, man, that's where we got to start. But yet. You go back to work, you go back home, you go back to here and you go back and then the, you start to feel the pressures of this life, don't you? It starts to set in on you. What do you got to do then? Well, we've already looked back at what God has and now we've got to look forward to what God will do. He promises this body is not going to last forever. We get a new one. Hallelujah. We got a home in heaven. We got to, we got to believe these things so that we can keep moving forward. He says his yoke is easy. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is called the great invitation. If you have not availed yourself of the gift of God for eternal life, man, you've got to receive this invitation. Because I promise you, this life will continue to press down upon you. And you know what you'll try to do? I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe nobody here. Talking to myself. Without Jesus, you know what you'll do? You'll medicate. That's all you guys, your only option. I just was listening yesterday, a little podcast came across, and, and I didn't know this. Things have changed since I was young. It used to be like Friday and Saturday were the party nights. I guess now it's Saturday, through, it's Thursday through Sunday. I'm like, wow, does people get Friday off and all day or something? I don't know. Or you just go to work high or drunk. But, uh, but, uh, they were saying that statistically, now I guess the young, younger crowd, you know, you start on Thursday and you work it all the way Till Sunday. And that's like the party window. And uh, well, why, why is there such a party window? Because people are trying to escape. Right? And they're going to this, that, and the other thing. I won't get into all the devices the devil uses. But when the pressures of life come, man, how do you cope? Man, give me some Xanax. Right? Give me some this. Give me some that. Give me whatever. There's always something. It's fascinating how uh, humans look to find ways to cope with reality. Why do they do that? Because they're under pressure. They're under burdens. And God, he wants us to take a better spirit. I used to work up in, off of 24 Highway. We had this place. I, was up at, I didn't work here. I worked next door. I worked at Pizza Hut Delivery. But next door we had this liquor store. And it was called Spirit World. And Spirit World was like our, our local uh, liquor place. We had several. But that was one of them. And uh, it's the right name, man. I, I used to think when I was lost, I'm like, Spirit World? Why do they call it Spirit World? But you know what? When people drink it, they think it lifts their spirits. Of course, it'll bite you like a serpent, right? 
and eventually you'll be depressed. It's actually a depressant. But it deceives you. It's a mocker. Wine's a mocker, right? Strong drink is raging. But I won't get into that. I'm, I, I digress. The point is we find ways to medicate. And we try to lift these burdens, but it's not God's spirit. And man, when I got saved, man, I left the spirit world behind. And I went to this spirit, the spirit of God. That doesn't mean life is always easy. But man, you got a different spirit to help lift that burden. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. When our life becomes getting this word where it needs to go on time, that's the burden we have. This is light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Our chief concern is to get this message where it needs to go. (sighs) What else you got to worry about? God provides everything else. He's a good God. He will do it. You can count on him. He will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Even if you're still living in Egypt. And he says, I will rid you out of their bondage. Israel was under cruel bondage. For The, the first mention, by the way, of bondage uh, in the scripture is in Exodus 1.14 at the beginning of this book. It says, and, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service and in the field and all their service wherein they made them uh, to serve with rigor. If you remember, I spoke about that rigor uh, when we were in that chapter. Bondage uh, brought the children of Israel to cry out unto God, and he heard them in Exodus 2:23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage, Exodus 2:23. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. When, when we're born again, God gives us the spirit of God. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It's also a spirit of adoption, because we have a new nature with our Heavenly Father. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have received... Uh, I'm sorry, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we have seen in this world system recently, in recent years, that is problematic when uh, fear is put upon, foisted upon Christians and Christians don't respond. Why is that? Why are Christians not scared? Oh, you're crazy. You want to see people die. Well, no, we're just not terrorized by death like everybody else. We're not irrationally responding to threats of death because we've already won. Well, Jesus has already won, and we believe him. He's brought us out from under that fear, man. I don't know about y'all. I mean, I'm saved, but I'm not really looking forward to dying. Like if I have to die in a car crash or some crazy situation, I'd like to just lay down, go to sleep, and go to heaven. That'd be nice, you know, but you don't really know how you're going to die, you know. So even though I know I'm going to heaven, I'm like, man, that can I don't really want to, like, suffer a whole lot if I don't have to, you know. Why? Because death is a kind of a scary thing. There's no doubt about it. But there's no fear in love, is there? Perfect love casts out fear. We're completely loved by God. So we face death and we're like, well, I don't like that. I don't want, I don't really want to suffer in, in a car wreck and bleed out slowly and, and agonize. But if that's what God has for me, if he calls me to it, he'll get me through it. And then I'll be in heaven. Hallelujah to you. You know, it'll be good. 
Because once I'm absent from the body, the Bible says I'm present with the Lord. So what has he done? He just takes that fear of death and he just actually turns it into victory. We just sang that last song about it. It's outstanding. So we don't have any fear. But so many things right now, This we, we live in a culture of death. And that culture of death, what does it do? It drives you to fear. <gasps> hey, Christians, that's not a burden you need to take on. You're free. You don't have to feel guilty about not being freaked out. You can go forward in faith. You can walk in freedom. And yeah, Pharaoh won't like it, but just keep walking because God loves you. And, uh, and you've, got a, you've been adopted. You're a child of God. He has, he's not put you in a spirit of bondage. He has given you liberty because your inheritance is not only physically going to be changed. Spiritually, we've got inheritance, and physically we have an inheritance according to Romans chapter 8. Now, the third thing, he says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Now, this is pregnant with prophecy. So this promise contains the prophecy of Jesus' first and second comings. Notice the comma there as it serves to divide the prophecy of his first advent as Savior and the second advent as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So one of the clearest prophecies of Christ in the scriptures found in Isaiah 53. And I don't have time to read the whole passage. <coughs> uh, but uh, Isaiah 53, 1 says, Who hath believed our report? Uh, and to and who and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's believed our report? And and who is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, you know what? Uh, it's been revealed to you if you're saved. And God was about to reveal His arm to Israel as He saved them out of and pulled them out of Egypt. Of course, that's a clear picture of Jesus Christ. He is the right hand and at the right hand of the Father. The Lord appeals to this passage when Israel refuses their Messiah. In John chapter 12 and verse 37, Jesus said, But though he had <clears throat> done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not him, that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? The Gospel of John makes that clear, that Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord, and he was revealed to Israel 2,000 years ago. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see in their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. (coughs) Excuse me. And so they fulfilled that prophecy because of their hard heart. And Paul writes about that in Romans 9 through 11 in the New Testament. To this day, right now, as I preach about this Jewish Messiah, I'm preaching about their own deliverance that was pictured, you know, at 1300 B.C. And today there's many Jews that are just like that. They just cannot see. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, it's been revealed to you if you're saved this morning. You know who Jesus Christ is, this Jewish Messiah. And we're most of us here are Gentiles trusting on his on this right arm. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. <clears throat> Excuse me. So God's hand is not short that it cannot save. One of the, one of the incredible things about God's uh, mighty arm is that today is the day of salvation. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You see, the, the, the Lord has done all he needs to do to save us. His salvation is sufficient in Christ. He is extending his hand, and he's awaiting us to cry out for salvation. You know, I'll take, uh, he says, I will take you. The fourth thing he says, I'll take you unto, uh, unto me for a people. Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt. He likened Egypt to an iron furnace. 
You remember back in, in uh, Daniel, later on, you'll have uh, Hanani, Mishael, Nazariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They'll be thrown in this fiery furnace. He's like, Egypt's like an iron furnace. And you know what? I pulled you out of that iron, iron furnace. To be unto me a people of inheritance as ye are this day. You know what God was using that iron, that iron furnace for? To forge an instrument. So he could establish his will on the earth. Sometimes the difficulties we go through, you know, the old saying, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. God was literally making Israel stronger through the difficulty. And not just Israel. He was making Moses stronger as well. I'll be to you a God, fifth one, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This promise speaks to the assurance that Israel will have that the Lord has delivered them from their burdens. We also have that assurance, right? First John chapter 5 tells us, These things that I written unto you that believe upon the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if any ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. I will bring you, sixth one, I will bring you unto a land concerning the which I did swear to give it unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God is good for his word, and he makes his promise, and he will keep it. When he tells us he's prepared a place for us, he means it, and he will get us there. Just like he told Israel, he prepared a land for them, and he will get them there. The seventh one is, I will give it to you for an inheritance. Seven promises of things he will do for Israel. And then he concludes it and says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am I am the God, I am the self-existing one, but he's also their God. The Lord has not gone back on his promise. You know, the 20th century revolved around this very same promise as God established Israel as a nation after almost, well, 1900 years of dispersion. Unbelievable. As God is still fulfilling these promises, and we know the coming tribulation, he will eventually quicken them, and as a nation, they'll be resurrected for the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, God is still fulfilling these promises. I will give it for you an inheritance. It's amazing what God's word promises and what he will do. So God caps off his seven promises with this reminder that I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am good for my word. Now, point B, Israel can count on what the Lord says he will do in Jeremiah 31, 27 through 37. So I'm not going to run through this as slow as I just did the ones in Israel. But you can write, write this reference down. And uh, I have on the screen, they'll have a list. And you can kind of jot some of these down. I'll read through. There's, there's a summary of seven more I will statements he makes to Israel. So as they advance down their relationship with the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet comes forth as they're in disobedience. And he's wanting them to do what's right. And he makes them seven more promises. And he talks about how I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah and the seed of man and the seed of beasts. And it seems a little weird, but what he's talking about is he is going to, he's going to prosper them and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And uh, he's prophesying about the New Testament. And I will make this covenant with the house of Israel after those days, after the coming tribulation. And I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's yet to come. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. I will cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Hallelujah to you. There's all those promises. And you can read those in their entirety in Jeremiah chapter 31. As he gives them seven more I will statements for a time yet to come. This, this last promise is conditioned on the ability uh, to measure the expanse of heaven 
It's like if you can measure the heaven and the foundations of the world, well, maybe I won't. I'll go back on my word. But, of course, nobody can do that because we've already saw the increase of his government. There shall be no end. Right. God will continue. The universe is perpetually expanding because it is eternal. So point C, we are wise to remember that Satan fell because of what he claims he will do. This is the difference between us and God. God does what he says, but we don't do what we, what we say we'll do. And so we've got to be careful not to get caught up in Satan's lies. Many of us know Isaiah fourteen twelve. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the Lord. I will ascend above the, the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. God says, no, you won't. Pharaoh thought he was God, too. You know, Hitler thought he was all that in a bag of chips. At the end of the day, God says, no. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee will narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? He starts off as an anointed cherub, reflecting the light of the Lord. But then he says, you know what? I want co-regency. I want to be like the most high God. I want to, I want to rule and reign. I want to be in charge. The next thing you know, before we get to the end of the story in Revelation, midpoint, he's cast down and Satan indwells a man. And eventually he's bound in hell for a thousand years before he's eventually thrown in the lake of fire. Oh, how far hast thou fallen? Beloved, it's the opposite for us. We start out as a man. Literally, an embryo, a fetus looks like a, almost like a little worm. And then it grows and turns into a little human and little humans are born. And But the Bible says if we die without Christ, we'll go right back to being a worm. Where the worm dieth not, the book of Mark says, quoting from Isaiah, people in hell have no arms, no legs. They're in torment. It's the lowest base form. And God didn't intend us to be that way. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And yet because our will, I will, I will, I will, or I will not. And we tell God what we will and won't do. Many people will never have the advantage of understanding what God did for them or the promise of what God will do for them. Because I will. And we've got to lay our, our will down and receive Jesus Christ. And the will of God is that we receive him as Lord and Savior. i got more to say about that, but I'm going to keep moving for time's sake. <clears throat> we just need to make sure we're the opposite of Satan. We don't covet um, the things that that, uh, that he coveted. We're content in our inheritance. The Bible tells us in Hebrews thirteen five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I've already touched on the fact that our inheritance is in light. You can see that Colossians 1, 12, and it really ties in nicely with Matthew chapter 11 and that, that, great, um, that great invitation. But beloved, you know, the reason that you're a threat to Satan is because you get to do the very thing he wanted to do, and that is reflect the light of Christ. You're, we're light-bearing beings. And I don't mean physical light, at least not right now. But right now, when you open this Bible, when you live out this book, man, there is a supernatural light that emanates. And, and people see it, or they don't. Right? And so, beloved, that's why sometimes when you're down here in Egypt, things get difficult. Because you represent a threat to the devil. 
So to see God's deliverance, we need to see what God has done. We need to see what God will do. And lastly, and we'll be done, we need to, we, to, to see the Lord's deliverance, we need to see what God wants done. Time's not going to allow me to work through this like I, I would like, but the Lord's messengers must deliver the message regardless of the reception. You know, Moses, he, he spake unto the children of Israel, but, but they hearkened not unto, his, unto Moses for anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Moses obeyed the Lord. And he went to the children of Israel, and they rejected him. I mean, it didn't seem like it was working, as I've already said. The only other place in the Bible this, this word anguish of spirit is mentioned is Job 7, 11. It says, therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is the opposite of, of, of uh, Christ, who died and he suffered anguish for our sins, and he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed, and as he was, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, he openeth not his mouth. Acts eight thirty two in that text, it says the place of the scripture, as he's talking to Ethiopian eunuchs, which he read, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. Man, the blindness of some of Israel will be lifted in their suffering and bondage under the Antichrist in a time yet to come. They're going to be in anguish, and they're going to see their deliverance through the preaching and the signs and wonders of two witnesses, one of which is Moses. There's coming a time when that's going to happen. We need to share the gospel regardless of our circumstances. In a practical application, we need to make sure we're sharing the gospel. Moses was rejected here, but there's coming a time where Israel will have another chance. They'll be under great affliction and great bondage. They'll be crying out to God. And God will give them a deliverer, and they will understand that the Messiah which they crucified was like a lamb led to the slaughter. That we already understand that. And so we should be sharing that. You know, long before Nero faced rejection and difficulty, long before Paul, I'm sorry, faced Nero, he faced rejection and difficulty and discouragement. It could be that God, when you go to someone's door and they slam the door in your face, or you share with a loved one and they and they reject you and and you do it with the right heart attitude and the right spirit. With you know, you really you're not trying to condemn anybody. You want them to be saved. Your heart is pure. You're just wanting to share the truth, but you get rejected. You may feel like God's not working, but even if God's not working in them, and by the way, He is. I've been on both sides of this. I've rejected the gospel, and I guarantee you, those things stuck. Is Jesse James here today, Jamie's? I was tell you, he's been coming. His brother, man, witnessed to me as a kid. That 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 seed stuck stuck but it isn't always about that sometimes it's about you getting stronger and learning that you know what this is just a little taste of the rejection that jesus suffered for my sin the hardness of my own heart that he's he's endured to see me get saved and you start to really identify a little bit with his suffering before paul ever stood before nero second corinthians eleven twenty five says this Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils uh, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And I'm not giving you everything. You can keep reading more. Go back and read it all. Paul says, man, I've endured a lot. And he still hadn't stood before Nero. So we share the gospel regardless of the circumstances because the gospel... This is what it does. It tries our heart. It puts us on trial. First Thessalonians 2 forces, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, 
But God, which trieth our heart. You know what was going on in Moses' heart? God was putting him on trial. He's like, hey, Moses, it's hard hitting those bricks, isn't it? Go back out and do it again. You know what Moses does? After he gets all of those I wills in, he goes back out and he tells Israel again. You know what Israel did? They rejected him again because of that cruel bondage and hard affliction. But you know what? God sent him out anyway because God was building something in Moses. Point B, rejection is not a valid reason not to go to those who need to be delivered. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go, go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his hand. He's like, man, Lord, it didn't work with the children of Israel again. He's like, that's okay. Let's go talk to Pharaoh. It's almost, it didn't even matter. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am uncircumcised lips? course that's a he's it's a metaphor he's like he's not going to hear from me if if my own people are not hearing from me who are circumcised and we identify with each other about your promises god why would pharaoh who's a pagan want to listen to what i got to say he's not going to hear a word from my lips and you know what god didn't allow israel's unbelief nor our unbelief to hinder his plan of redemption for us either God didn't, God didn't allow Israel's rejection of Moses to hinder his plan of redemption for Israel. God didn't allow our, our hardness to hinder his plan of redemption for us. In Galatians 4, the Bible says in verse 3, Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? He didn't allow our hardness. He didn't allow our sin. Nothing stopped God from redeeming us before we were even born. God is so good. Moses is still saying no when God calls him to go in verse 12. He's like, Lord, I I don't think I could do this. I got uncircumcised lips. You know, at this point, God doesn't even acknowledge acknowledge Moses' excuses. He simply moves on, revealing his plan for Israel through the seed of Levi. Now, right now, you're probably going, "Uh uh-oh. Brian, you're on verse 13. How are you going to get through all this? Well, verse 13 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron and gave them a, a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. I want you to notice verse 13, what he says. The Lord gave them a... What? Charge. You know what a charge is? It's like a military. It's a term you would use. Paul gives Timothy a charge in Second Timothy. I charge thee therefore, Timothy. He's, he's, he's giving authority. All of this discussion about how bad it's going, and, and God just kind of steps over the top of it and says, okay, yep, I get it. Now, this is what you're going to do. I'm charging you to charge them. He's setting things in order. You have authority. I'm, I'm giving you my authority, and I need you to take it to them. Really? And then he does this weird thing. He lays out this genealogy, of which I'm not going to read because we don't have the time. But in Exodus 6, 14 through 27, he gives them this genealogy. So point C is God reminds Moses and Aaron of their genealogy so they can understand their leadership responsibility. And he gets into this, this genealogy, and he starts off with Reuben, and then he goes to Sib, the firstborn, and then he goes to Simeon, and, and then he gets to Levi, and then the rest of that, that, that text, all the way to the end of the chapter, is dealing with Levi. And Levi is the tribe, of course, from which Moses and Aaron come from. And what he's doing is he's not establishing 
everything about Israel's genealogy in that text. He's establishing something. A genealogy is important. When they appear in the Bible, God is trying to communicate something. And in this text, he's communicating, look, Moses, Aaron, you have authority. You have a priestly authority. I haven't given you, I haven't gotten you up on Sinai and given you everything about that yet, but just let, believe me here. You guys are under authority. I'm charging you as officers and I'm taking you back to your people and you have authority and you need to present the words that I've told you to speak with authority. Because go to verse 26. These are that, uh, these are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. What? They're slaves. What are you talking about? They're in bondage. They're in cruel affliction. They're not armies. They, they can't. They don't even want to listen to Moses. What are you talking about armies? God says they're armies. Go back and tell them. Get things in order because I'm calling you out as an army. As armies, plural. By the way, first mention of the word in the, in the Bible. There's armies mentioned uh, with Abimelech in Genesis, singular. First mention of armies, plural, is mentioned here in Genesis, dealing with the children of Israel and their armies. But yet they're slaves. Exactly. I'm glad you hung on to the end. Because I need you, I need you to just hang with me for just one more moment. Because this genealogy lists out these three aspects of the tribe of, of, of Israel, and it leads them to this place in Genesis, or Exodus 20, uh, 6, 26 through 27, where this manifestation of the fact that they, they are armies. And then he says in verse 27, These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are Moses and Aaron. Hey, Moses and Aaron, I know it doesn't feel good right now, but I'm telling you, I am establishing something new with you guys. And it's a priesthood. And this priesthood is going to lead Israel. Well, it's going to lead them until Jesus comes. And that, that priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's not sufficient to redeem them. But it is sufficient to lead them. Right? This, this, is, this is going to lead them through the wilderness. This is going to lead them into the promised land. And I want you to see this before we close up. I gave you the first mention of the word armies. You might be surprised or you might not be. The last mention of the word armies is in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19. And guess who appears there? If you believe the Bible and you believe what you look back on, when you look back at the cross and say, Jesus, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, you have lifted me up. Lord, you have saved me. And that's what happened March 25th, 1987. And as I turn and I look forward, there's coming a day when I'm going to get caught up in the clouds or I'm going to die. But either way, I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to be forever living with the Lord. But at the end of the tribulation period, I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19. And it says there in Revelation 19, 19, and I saw the beast. He's a lot worse than Pharaoh. Pharaoh's just a picture. I saw the beast and I saw the kings of the earth and their armies. But God doesn't have any armies here. It says. They gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. This is a white horse. And against his. Army. 
You see, what happens when Jesus comes is he coalesces every, he fulfills the law. He fulfills it all. There, it's not armies, it's an army. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 19, we are one. Right now we're one with him. We're one in Christ. We're one body. Ephesians chapter 4. One baptism. One, one God above all, right? In all and through all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's all Ephesians talks about, right? We're all of that. But there's coming a day in Revelation 19 when there is a battle over this planet. And y'all listen to me. What you're looking forward to is coming back as an army. And there's a lot of us, I tell you, we're, we're, we're like the Egyptians. Or I mean, the, uh, we're like the children of Israel. We walk around this planet. We're all sunken down. We're all like, oh, I'm under bondage. I'm under cruel affliction. But beloved, listen. You're under authority. You have been charged. And I know in this group, some of you get it. I mean, you really get it. We're not just here to to abide time. We are here to get in the book. We're here to believe the book. We're here to go forward in faith because God has called us. He has charged us to move out. And before we ever get out of here physically, we need to be moving somewhere spiritually. And we need to be moving toward Christ. Because, beloved, it's just a matter of time. This time on earth is going to be like a vapor. It just appears for a while and fadeth away. But the things that we're talking about, the things that we're doing in ministry, whether it's making Bibles, whether it's playing soccer, whether it's playing volleyball, whether it's working with the children's ministry, whether it's putting things up, which, by the way, the church, they did some stuff in the foyer and the hallways looks awesome. All of that stuff, all of the stuff that happens when we do it the right heart and we're doing it for Jesus, honor and glory. Beloved, we're making traction out of Egypt. And we're coming back as an army. And Jesus Christ is our captain. You see, Moses never made it to the promised land. It's where he failed. He's the law. He couldn't fulfill it either. But Joshua, Jesus, was the one who took him in and got the promised land. Beloved, we're so blessed to be following Jesus. We're not under the law. We're not under the yoke. We're free. We're free indeed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray a blessing of the reading and the hearing 